is Courtney Boyd Myers, and I'm here today with Ramit Shavla and Ryan Matzner of Fueled. We are in the Fueled Collective, and today we are discussing Google I.O. announcements, uh, Foursquare Swarm, Path Chat, the app Yo, and many things in between. So let's get started. So Google I.O. Um, I watched the video or, or most of it, and all I could think about is how different Google and Apple are as companies and how it was manifest through the WWDC keynote versus the I.O. keynote. For example, the vast majority of the Google I.O. keynote, every time the camera zoomed out to show the whole stage and the screen behind it and guys speaking there was a constant flow of people walking past the stage, like audience members. I don't know where they were going or what they were doing, but it just was so distracting and just so unprofessional. And it started out with this Rube Goldberg machine that was really confusing and like made some weird car honking noises. And um, they just, the, the technical difficulties that they had were, were weird. Everything about it was just unpolished. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, I guess I just kept thinking, wow, they just don't have as much experience as Apple. But everything they did was clearly just their interpretation of how Apple held a keynote. Um, and then could you say the same thing for everything that they actually launched? No. Fortunately. So I think on some of the stuff they, they launched, there, there was some genuine originality. Um, and I think they kept up a, a theme that, that is typical of Google of sort of pushing boundaries that uh, Apple's just a lot slower to, to get to, or maybe sometimes doesn't even get to at all. Um, obviously, Google's way ahead in terms of releasing additional niche hardware products into their ecosystem. So uh, they announced more stuff for, for watches, um, and they're, they're doing a really good job of tying the entire ecosystem together. For example, your, your watch... If it's in if it's in proximity to your phone, then you can set your phone and not have to require a password to unlock it. And then if the watch moves a few feet away, suddenly you have to type in a password again. Um, makes total sense. Yeah, which makes total sense. Um, one of the things they announced, which I'm very very curious about how this is going to play out in the world, is Android for the car. So Apple's already signed partnerships with all these different car companies. So are cars going to come with both and and the system will just switch between the different OSs? Are you dual booting in your car? Or is it like, yeah, I can't buy an Audi because they're iPhone and I'm an Android person, so I can only buy these certain car brands. I'm really curious to see how that happens. Or is it going to be an option where when you buy the car, you need to just commit for the life of that car what what OS you're going to be using? I, I really don't know what's going to happen. And, and Apple's announced a ton of partnerships, and I don't could be wrong, but I don't think Google announced a single manufacturer partnership with their with their car announcement. No. No, but it's, it, it'll be a software play from Apple's side. So, I mean, if, if they have um, CarPlay in it, um, like, would you really feel it would be mutually exclusive? Like, there's some software out there that, you know, if you want to use SoundCloud, you can use SoundCloud. Right, so so is, is CarPlay and Android, are they running as apps on the Cars OS? I thought they're kind of their own OS for the car. 
I guess we just maybe don't know enough about it yet. I feel like it's a protocol. Well, I'm not sure. So one of the things that Apple was really big on at WWDC, um, or I guess maybe it was a big announcement that they didn't necessarily highlight um, in their main keynote, but they did in their follow-up, was a robust set of tools to design and develop apps for multiple screen sizes. Many different screen sizes, exactly. And the first thing a lot of us thought was, Jesus Christ, why didn't Android come up with something like this? Because they've been plagued with variable screen sizes since day one. And their response to Apple wasn't just, hey, here's how to handle variable screen sizes. It was a really robust set of design guidelines and tools for creating apps for not just different phone and tablet screen sizes, but different shapes and sizes as big as television. So they're just treating, with the release of, of Android TV, they're just treating the television as another Android device on yet another screen size. Which they should. Which they should, right? Apple's not there yet. Although what Apple released sort of had some hints that, uh, that that's indicated what, that's where it's going. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what Apple released is more of like, hey, guys, here's a tool so that you're going to be using in the future. Build your apps in accordance so they, they can scale. And then, you know, they haven't actually released or announced what exact slice is and what, like, what it's going to translate to in the future. Right, and just Google did already announce yeah. that second part. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, so just to clarify on Android Auto versus Apple CarPlay, they're just calling them systems, and then they're supporting iOS and Android. Who's supporting iOS and Android? They're, the phrasing is Andro, Android Auto is supporting Android, like the way Apple CarPlay is supporting iOS. Okay, did, did, but does anyone go through the difference between them? Um, it's kind of like tip for tat, like instead of Apple Maps, it's Google Maps. Instead of, you know, listening to this music partnership, they've got this one, like going through it like that. But Google, one of the differences with, with uh, Android... Um, but can I download Google Maps on to Apple? No, there aren't apps for CarPlay. No, you just in, in the sense of, of there's no app store that you so, can download CarPlay right, right now. Compatible apps for right and now. Then, and then, but on Android, on Android apps can is. hook into CarPlay or okay. can hook into Android for the car. What's the official title? Android Auto. Android Auto. Yeah. Well, was that assonance? Um, so an, an interesting sort of space to watch for all the car drivers in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess probably what's more rele- relevant to you guys is Android's L and the material design stuff. Do you guys want to get into that? Um, I think Android L is pretty exciting. As a iPhone user since the original iPhone, this is the first time I looked at some of the Android designs and thought wow, okay, that's actually pretty appealing. One of the things I've always loved about iOS is solid design, and and I've always felt Android just seemed a little unpolished and a little janky, and Android L goes a long way towards resolving some of those issues, and it's the first kind of major release out of Google that that is truly appealing. Excellent, okay. 
And you say that because of because of what you saw in the keynote, or when you played with like you know Mark's phone. You, you, because of so I say that because of what I saw in the keynote. Um, they they brought up kind of a Google or G, a Gmail app um, under the old design, and then Gmail uh, mobile under the new design, mm-hmm. and it it just looks so much cleaner. It looked really inviting and appealing, uh, and and there's a real cohesion to the design language. They changed the font. They made it more readable across all devices. Uh, and it's a single unified font for every form factor. And just the, the animations, the fact that they created this concept of uh, a Z axis to, to create depth um, and dynamic shadows and lighting, I think just makes it a much more beautiful experience. And if you look at what Fuel does in general, this idea of adding polish to apps, yeah. it's something that, that uh, has always been a bigger challenge on Android than on iOS, just because of the available tools and standards. And so I finally see us being able to uh, efficiently match our iOS polish onto Android in an Android-specific way. So the release of L is such a big step that you guys now feel like maybe people will be coming to you more for Android now versus iOS, or is it not going to flip the table like that? So Android L feels like a, a big leap in terms of closing the design quality gap between iOS and Android, but that's not going to automatically translate to users. Uh, iOS, iOS users aren't going to jump ship for Android just because the design is, is now on par. Um, I think Android needs to differentiate further, and and Androids and Google are clearly working on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they necessarily need to di- differentiate further. I think that they have differentiated themselves. I think that just right now, um, that kind of the market, the the affluent market that spends money, still views the iPhone as like a luxury product, and Android as kind of a, a like just feel it feel like to them it feels subpar. And so for those people that are spending money on apps, that's why even though Apple doesn't have as big of a market share, it still has a huge share of the spend on mobile. It has a vast majority. Yeah. And even though it's a minority in terms of right. install base. But so but I and I think to answer Courtney's question, I think now with advancements like this and with better hardware coming out, because right software is just one component of that, but with better hardware then supporting that amazing operating system. Um, you'll start to see less of a divide between people like distinguishing Android as, as a subpar device um, to to an iPhone, and then you'll start to see a shift between the two, right? And also, Apple's done such a really good job of um, of embedding users on their platform because they now have years of apps that they downloaded that they paid for that are now on their phone, and they know they they won't be able to access any of those apps, or they might have to re-download all those apps, which again when they switch, yeah. Redownloading is probably less Re- of a big deal to the repurchasing. Yeah, and what's so funny is if you add it up, how much have people really spent on apps? A total dollar value of all apps on your phone, hundred bucks. Yeah, seventy-five. Well, it's it's really a total dollar value of all the apps that you'll redownload again. <laughs> right, but let's say it's seventy-five dollars. Yeah, no, but but I mean, for some people, it's but like, you're spending eight or eight or nine hundred dollars on on a device. No, I mean, normally people are always buying it in relation to a contract. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, for them, it's like, you know, it's like 200 bucks for a phone and then half of that price more in additional apps. Maybe. It depends if they're how big of an app user they are. Right. right. 
So like, for that, it's like a 50% increase. I mean, for, for me, I know that I have consistently seen, and I use, I use Gmail mobile on my, on my phone to respond to emails, and I've consistently seen um, people that I respect in the industry immediately reply to email, and I'm trying to figure out a way where I can do the same thing, um, and I've been failing at it. And I actually want to test out Android to see if yeah, just, just the integration will allow because of the integration. Because sometimes it's just like small little interface differences that will affect the way you use a piece of technology. And I'm curious to know that if I switched, um, how like because of that tight integration, will I respond faster? So I'm holding a Galaxy tablet in my hand. I'll show you what you're going to get. You're just going to get a thousand of these like horrible notifications just stacked up, which might be what I need. Very, very annoying. No, like I'm just saying, like I, I don't know because right now notification center on iOS is is super annoying. It's it's not that it's annoying; it's just really weak. It's it will will because it's weak is annoying. Yeah. Right. It's like or frustrating, I should say. It's maybe maybe a better word. And and I think that with that notification center done right, or or with something done right, I'll be like, oh my god, I have to respond to these emails in the same way that I check text messages. You know. Um, in the same way that when I used to have a BlackBerry, I used to reply yeah, once, to emails on time. Okay. I think it was just a volume issue at I mean, the time. It, I, like I, oh, for, for when sure, you had like, a BlackBerry, you also weren't getting as many True, emails. but guess what? When so I guess. switched between BlackBerry and iPhone, I noticed a big drop in how fast I was replying to emails, and I switched back to BlackBerry initially up until, um, I think, for like another, another six months or something like that. And then I switched back to iPhone, and again, I noticed uh, like a productivity decrease in terms of like speediness response to emails. So there is, is definitely something there for me with the iPhone and, and email. Like now it's just exacerbated by the fact that volume's increased. Yeah, the native, the iOS's native email app is pretty worthless because right. you can only view all of the emails in your inbox, right. and, and which they, is includes a ton of junk and spam, whereas the native, or whereas the Android's native Gmail app and the Gmail app for iOS allows you to view your priority inbox or your your exactly, but it does it at, like it loads but it, it's, and, and it, so it takes that extra second to load. And it's the same thing. It's like added loaded in the background recently, but it, it so it's in, increased a little, a little bit, bit, but it's still, right, not, but it's still not there. Right. Agreed. Interesting. So in the same way that you're now thinking, well, maybe I'll switch over to Android because you know Gmail is a web app that I use all the time. Thinking about Google Wear and their wearable tech, when you're like, okay, well. I mean, what what's the equivalent for Apple? Like, what, are they going to lose people because they're not in our email? They're not in our glasses. You know, they're they're not maybe on our watch fast enough. They seem to be a bit slower in that space. You know, when you have Google branded glasses and you're using Gmail and Chrome, it's like, you know, are you still going to be using iOS and Apple? Yeah. So if you if you look at Google's mo, it's typically been to open up their technology to to anyone who's willing to to take it. Right, like when when Google Maps stopped being a default Maps app on iOS, it wasn't because of Google. They were scrambling to build a native version for users. It was Apple's decision. So I would be surprised if the Gmail or Google Apps mail experience on iOS is crappy within the native app solely because of Google, or or really at all because of Google. But rather that it's it's sort of Apple refusing to allow Google to to have sort of a, a, a native esque mail app. I don't know. I think that's like kind of conspiracy like talk. No, but if you just, it's, it's not conspiracy talk. If you just look at everything 
that Google's done, they've tried to create an iOS version of every app that, that they have on Android. Right. And they run into OS limitations. Right, but and it's, so, it's not Apple particularly blocking Google, per se. No, it's Apple refusing to give special permission to Google services, but there's a long history of Apple giving special permission to various services. They gave it to Flickr, for example, on the share sheet early on, and Twitter, and YouTube. YouTube was the only place you could send your videos on the original uh, OS, and, and even till iOS 7, you could only really send videos either in iMessage email or to YouTube. So that's, a, that's Google getting exclusive access. All right. I think, I, think what, I think what's really interesting about Apple versus Google is that Apple has this kind of consistent theory that it should be the hardware plus the software manufacturer should be the same. And as a result of those two things, you make this amazing product, right? And so Apple's like, cool, I'm just gonna like lock everything down and I'm gonna make the software, make the hardware, and as a result of those two integration points, it's gonna be amazing. And so they don't really focus on any any of the like hardcore cloud solutions. Like they obviously have a lot of like cloud options there now. But but then you look at you look at Google and it's like, cool, we're gonna fund some of the hardware, some a uh, ton of the hardware is gonna be done externally, we're gonna do all the software. But in addition to just doing the operating system software, we're also going to be heavily investing in really robust applications. And those applications might not be just like a small, lightweight, thin client that's on a phone, like, you know, Apple building maps. It's like, you know, I'm going to build Google Maps, satellites, the whole thing, map the planet, and then I'll also have like a thin client on the phone. So they're just saying like, okay, then I'm going to have Gmail, like the best mail application ever. His entire team in it. And so what Google's doing is instead of just integrating hardware and software and trying to make a better product and see more seamless integration, um, Google is integrating software and software almost in a way um, where it's embedding so much software in our lives uh, that we're used to on a daily basis and then building the operating system around that software and that's heavily integrated. Right. And so, so like that's a whole nother theory. It's like almost one level deeper because I always believed, I was like, oh, that's really interesting that Apple is like, so focused on hardware plus software and their products are extremely better as a result of it. They're just significantly better than the competition as a result of it. But like, but now, now their software is consumer grade, like in the, in the worst way. No, but way. when I say, uh, when I say software, I'm talking about operating system. So the, 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 the hardware layer talking to the operating system layer, that is as solid as, as it, it can, gets, yeah. can get. Where, where, where then Google every is, of software no, 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 is junk. No, 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 but their software is this layer. That's their software. Their software is the operating system. The other software is just it, it's just like, you know, when you used to buy Windows and you, bought, you get a calculator with it. They're not concerned with, you know, they're not as concerned with that layer, right? They're concerned with, like, hardcore, amazing OS. The, the software that they consider, like, that you're saying is junk, is like, hey, no, listen, we've opened up our operating system so other people can build amazing software on it. We're going to focus on the OS itself. Exactly. We're going to focus on the, on the OS itself and the hardware and that integration point. Whereas Google's like, cool, we're going to focus on the OS plus the software that you're talking about in terms right. of one, one more level down on the stack. And that's an interesting model now. Like, and now, now except, except there's something that, that Google announced at I.O. that sort of, I, I think, is really in line with what you're saying, but also in, in, in that line of thought spells trouble for Apple. So, uh, so it spells trouble for Apple. Yeah. I mean, who, who knew that this dynamic would be the one, one dynamic that would disrupt uh, really tight... OS and hardware integration. Well, so Google's getting more into the tight OS and hardware integration. So um, they're starting out 
with a line of sub $100 phones for uh, developing countries where they've, they're, they're creating spec hardware standards. And then uh, manufacturing partners can pick and choose a couple components. For example, in India, uh, FM radio is a must-have for these devices. And so the Indian manufacturers can, can sort of check off the box to have FM radio. But otherwise, it's vanilla Android hardware that gets updates directly from Google. It doesn't go through the carrier. There's no bloatware on it. They can install apps, but they're installed as if the user had installed them from the store. Um, and so that's basically starting to step on Apple's toes then. No, and, and I Why think this is, this is one of like the common misconceptions of people stepping on Apple toes. Apple is only concerned with the top 20% of the market. Right. They are not concerned with $100 phone. Right, but so Google's starting out of the $100 phone, but the, but the next step is to is to start crunching the middle of the market. They've also got the top with their Nexus line. Yeah, yeah. so um, what I'm saying is, like, really what's, what, what's, what would be bumping into their market is that Nexus line. That's that, like, $600-plus phone. Right, so the Nexus line is on top. This new tier of devices at the bottom. Right, and, and then they just start working on the middle next. No, but again, they can work on the middle, and they work, work on the bottom all they want. Really? They, but Apple's only caring about the top. Apple historically has only cared about the top 20% of the market making the most expensive and best devices out there. Right. And consistently. And, and they're one of the few technology companies that like has kind of kept that trip. You look at Apple's market share. Yes, yes, it has like expanded recently. That's just because there was nothing else good. And so they just like leapfrogged everyone in terms of like innovation. And as a result, they just took this great market share, which will be taken away. And as long as they continue to innovate and then just make their products significantly better than others and then charge for it because of their price point, they're only, only going to target the top end part of the market. And that's their goal. Okay. But again, like to your point, shareholders and everyone else have always been pushing Apple to release cheaper devices. And I think it was Jobs that was like, listen, I don't care about the cheaper devices. I just want the best. Um, and now Jobs isn't there. So who knows what direction they're going to go in now in the future in terms of creating lower price options for, for iPhones um, or other devices. In right. general, I think Apple's in trouble. I keep selling. I don't, I don't even know. That this is not investment advice, but, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I keep selling my um, my Apple shares consistently. Um, right, right. So for me, okay, the release of Path Talk, kind of in relation to the release of Swarm. Um, what really bothers me is the fact that in order to now access my messages in Path, I have to. I'm like toggled to another app when I now have to like check in on Foursquare I'm toggled to another app Facebook Messenger toggled to another app and I'm okay with Facebook Messenger doing it in the sense that like I actually the volume of use on each platform is so different but Path is pathetic and Foursquare is really just annoying uh, so Path Talk was dropped well, this week yeah I'll, I'll, I mean I'll give you some of the rationale on that um so the whole point is not for you to toggle. If you're toggling, that's just that should no be, one's winning. Yeah, it, it's, it's not even. Yeah, it's not that no, no one's winning. It should just be kind of um, like a corner case that you're you're toggling, right? Um, the reason messaging is taken out on Facebook is because they want you to be able to access messaging immediately by clicking on an app icon. Yeah, which is so, why I, I like Facebook Messenger right, a lot. Right, and so, and so like you jump in and it kind of in a way looks like text messaging where you, you're in, the message is there, respond, boom, done. 
And and like I was like we were talking about before, and I think a lot a lot of these developers realize the same thing that that we do. Um, one two extra clicks will entirely change an experience, right? And so Facebook knows that even with just one click to get to like a messenger section, it doesn't feel like a messaging app. So hence we're if, and if we want that to be a part of our core service, we're going to remove it so that the users that just want to directly go to messaging will just tap on that icon because that's what their core uses. So with, with your Foursquare example, if you want to check in, you should be using the app that directly checks you in, which is Swarm. So you should be opening up Foursquare to check in. You should open up Foursquare to basically look at recommendations around you in the city. But like, even within Swarm, when you check in somewhere and it says, oh, do you want tips about this place? You hit yes, and it takes you to another app. It's that jarring bit that bugs me. Yeah, and I mean that's actually an interesting point in terms of their they're bringing up a call to action to shift you between apps, which I don't think is correct. Um, if you're if you are purposely navigating users between the apps, then then you fail to really determine what the use case is. Um, when you separate an app out, it's supposed to be there's so many people that are using it just for that use case that you want to make that experience really tight, but you don't want to affect the other app. Or you want to make two, like in Foursquare's case, two very distinct experiences, right, for two very distinct things. One is check in and see where your friends are, and the other one is like explore. Are you glad that they separated it into two apps? Um, you kind of use Foursquare. So yeah, I, I, I use Foursquare for their um, list feature more than anything else. I love, I love their list feature. Yeah. Um, I just uh, like, I think everyone needs a list, and um, they're just like the application I selected because I was hoping it would stick around. Even though it's not that good, the list. Feature. I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, in it, in reality, yeah, it's, it's definitely lacking, but it's just you know it's better than like TripAdvisor lists or something. Yeah. I mean, what's uh, obviously, next? obviously, there's like some worse ones. I'm sure there's some better ones out there, but I just kind of selected Foursquare's database, and you know, it's it's it's, it's easy to share and stuff like that. Um, so. So yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not particularly happy that they separated it. And Path. I mean, I just don't use Path, and I don't really know that many people that do. Um, so I'm kind of indifferent to, like, Path can separate all they I want. I was so bullish on on Path early on, and if they had been one of the first movers in this space, then I think it'd be a completely different story. But it just feels like such a me too right now. Even if they do have a couple cool points of differentiation those points aren't even close to enough to get someone to stop using one of the apps they're already on and move or to even fathom having yet another chat app to switch to. Yeah, Pat, Pat still has a limit, right, on the number of... Um... They took the limit off for their chat app. Oh, that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. I was just going to say, it actually doesn't make any sense um, if you have a limited number of people that you can chat yeah. with. So right. you might as well just switch to another chat app. Um, but then that makes sense that they got lifted the limit. So path in a year or two is just going to be gone. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they'll they'll, they'll sell and they'll strategically, and uh, it'll look like they did well enough to the public. But um, I think we'll we'll really know the answer. And then, did you guys see uh, Facebook Slingshot, the app that came out that basically is a picture messaging app? Yeah, so I was a big fan of an app called Povio. That was basically exactly that. 
sort of trading. I couldn't get Povio to work. I hated Povio. The UI in Povio was piss poor. Oh, so and I, frustrating. I think the founders would agree with that. But the concept, though implemented poorly, was spot on. And I and, and I think Facebook jumping into that space is evidence of that. Um, so now Facebook has like three big messaging apps it's pushing. Is that a bit ridiculous? Is it three big though, or is it one big app that they're pushing, one that they own and would love for everyone to move from that to their main messaging app, and then an experiment? That sounds right. Yeah, I mean, if, if you think about it, all, all of these little experiments, it's like something is going to disrupt the industry. They would just rather be the ones that owns that product instead of buying it. But here's an interesting point. Is... Is doing that experimentation as Facebook sort of inherently creating uh, a dynamic that makes it impossible for them to discover if it's really lightning in a bottle or not? Mm. Because having their name attached to it sort of changes the results inherently. It, it does change the results inherently, um, but it gives them like an easy like acquisition tool. Um, and I think I think that like if a product's going to stake a product has like an a, easy acquisition tool. Yeah. What do you mean? Like user acquisition? Yeah, user acquisition. Okay. Wait, but and, and aren't we going to reach a point where people are just like, ugh, another like side project from Google? Like I don't, or I mean from Facebook? I don't, I don't care anymore. No, well, so I think you would how many, you, you and I will probably react. react. Really? No, but every time they come out, they make mainstream news. How many times before people stop caring? It's not like any of these are turning into huge successes. Right, but so here's the thing. Probability and success is already always low. You know that, so it's not like their fault that it doesn't succeed. Correct, but well, usually when you're when you're working on that probability of success that's low, it's sort of in the background, hidden away from the majority of your users. What do you mean? Their acquisition strategy. So like, they weren't sitting there experimenting with chat apps and then hit upon WhatsApp. They let the market figure it out and then they bought the winner. Right. So it's not like they were hearing about all these. It's not like the Facebook billion users out there were constantly hearing news about Facebook's new apps that then went and failed. They only heard about the winner, WhatsApp. Right. Right. So now, in this new dynamic, Facebook's putting out a ton of loser apps. How does that affect their brand? Well, I don't think it really affects their brand. So, again, like the way an app really succeeds, and you and, you and I know this very well, it's, it's not the initial push push. So even, right. even if like no one cares, quote unquote, um, when an initial app comes out by Facebook because because um, because the initial press push like comes out, um, it doesn't matter because we both know that how you build an audience is you actually build the handful of people and let it grow amongst those, let it get viral, to let it spread. Right? It takes takes two to three years for one of these things to really become successful. And initially, you always see a massive drop-off after a press push. And from there on, it's just like, okay, let's continue to tweak the product until we can actually figure out what will work. And why not have a lab? Like, why not try and mitigate some of that risk with a labs component that's trying to step out with all the data that they have? So they have a handful of data. Like, there seems to I'm be... I'm willing to bet that Facebook is going to start releasing some of these products under a name that isn't clearly tied to Facebook. Like Facebook Labs, but something totally differently. Not Facebook no, Labs, some other, some, right? Something Labs where the press don't dive into something and, and make a big deal about it because, I mean, again, I think they understand. It just doesn't matter what press says. No, but but the, 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 the main yes, in terms of the, the success of that individual app under the theory of of kind of traditional app success, but that that, that you just described, 
But what about sort of the general Facebook brand? And oh, sort of in yeah. the news every month, hey, here's a new app that Facebook launched. Right. And then you go and use it, and you're like, no one's using this, and you give up on it. Right, and that's 0.5% of the, of the users of Facebook. But it's, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's certainly the most influential part of their user group. It's not at all. Why not? The most influential part. If, anyone, if anything, it's the most fleeting. In what, in what sense? And so the ones that are most connected to the technology space, the ones that are looking for another application. Facebook's audience is just so wide. It's just like, you know, there's some guy in Turkey that's just like chilling on Facebook. You know, there's some guy in Asia that's just like, like they, they're not downloading these apps. You know what I mean? That's their audience. It's the masses. The masses aren't jumping on board with these new apps. But they're not the ones that are they're monetizing. They're, oh, they're monetizing. They're monetizing the masses. That's why they're making money. The U.S. is where they're making all their money. Right, but even in the U.S., again, it's like 0.5% that are like the tech geeks that are downloading these initial apps. They're not getting a million users. So these are hitting the mainstream. What about about seeing Slingshot in terms of like a reach for a younger audience? So what's interesting is I saw... Sort of like Snapchat? Snapchat's audience? No, no, but again, like they're building apps in in a labs component that just gives them the ability to potentially build versus buy, right? And it's like, why not play the odds? The chances are where they're going to fail. But if one succeeds, it's a lot better, given the data that we have, that there's a probability on success that might be higher than, than average. Let's just try and build a handful of them. If they fail, no big deal. I don't really see it as a big, like there's no scar to their brand. Most people don't even know these apps exist. Okay, I guess this is all predicated on awareness, which we don't really have numbers on. Okay, so speaking about building apps that don't hurt your brand, if a team came into Fueled and said, I want you guys to build Yo for me, what would you say? We'd say, hey, we should call it Hey. <laughs> Why? I mean, you got to differentiate a little bit, right? <laughs> um, I think she means before. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think that... Well, was Yo created as a prank, as a joke, or was it created as a real product from the beginning? I think it was a statement app. So, so I, I, I haven't been here. So, <laughs> I think that apps are getting more and more and more specialized to the point where they just do one thing, one tiny thing, and do it well. Um, this is the epitome of that. <laughs> so that was the point of apps from the beginning. It's just people misinterpreted it and tried building these apps that did a million things at once. Right. And no one was actually successful doing right, that, but it, arguably it, maybe Facebook. Right. Well, so F- Facebook is an interesting example. And they've also backtracked on if, if Facebook were to release its platform now in terms of Facebook web, it, like the number of features it has is just so rich that, that I'm not even sure if the way that we're so now trained to use applications... I don't even know if it's something that would necessarily succeed. We're so used to now kind of a Spartan experience, uh, an interesting Spartan experience, right? And I think I think Yo is the kind of, again, epitome of that experience. It's just like, hey, you know what? It's just going to say Yo. And so I, I I mean, yes, a lot of people hate it and all that stuff, but I, I get it. Like it's, it's, it's all, it follows that theory to the extreme. I think it's interesting. Even though everyone hates it. I get it. It makes sense to me. Any other thoughts on Yo before we wrap up? No. Okay. <laughs> or just stupid apps in general that people are pouring money into in development time. 
You know, I think that, so. There was um, sometimes it's the stupid ones that work, though. And it's but. not just the stupid ones that work. That, that work. I, I really believe that you just need to be out there doing something yeah. in order to come up with the inspiration for yeah. what will work later. Yeah, exactly. it's literally impossible to come up with it unless you're doing, doing something it. already. Right. Yeah. So speaking to the point of having to be in something in order to figure out your next big idea, um, about. Four years ago, there was a TechCrunch piece, and some lowly Stanford kid tried to plug his startup in the comments, and uh, he said, I'm a Stanford student, and I started a website called futurefreshman.com with a classmate for $2,500 of my own money. Uh, Check it out. And it got no reply, no acknowledgement, no nothing. Uh, A year later, someone posted on it, still under construction, Wonder if you ever launched after three years. And so that was three years ago. And then someone picked it up today and noticed this this thread. And um, it turned out that that post was by Evan Spiegel, who went on to start Snapchat. That's what he pivoted into. So um, I, I think in many ways, it doesn't matter what your idea is, because you'll find the right idea by working on it. Excellent advice from Ryan Metzner and from Michelle of Fueled. Um, thank you all for joining us today, and we'll uh, be with you shortly for our next podcast. Stay tuned.